time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour uh, known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is uh, uh, my go-to guy on all things White House. Uh, He served in the uh, administrations of uh, two different presidents, and he joins me by phone, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you uh, on again. Good to be with you, Tom. Um, Mark, I was watching over the weekend um, the the war of words between uh, the White House and John Bolton and John Bolton's uh, publicity people and the White House's publicity people. And, um, and, and I, I watched John Bolton's uh, interview with ABC Sunday night, and I, I went immediately <laughs> to send an email to you because i thought you know when i have questions about about these things uh, you're my go-to guy because um one of the things I, I think is interesting to note about john bolton is that he has served in four presidential administrations you've served in two of those um yeah what is Actually, your yeah. impression no, of ahead. all this it i i guess to, as an icebreaker question mark um does everybody that used to work at the White House write a book? <laughs> hardly, <laughs> hardly. Um, and if so, how did I miss yours? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, maybe I, you know, if I had the discipline, uh, maybe I'd write one. But uh, um, you know, I know John. John and I worked together for Ed Meese back in the nineteen mid eighties when John was the Assistant Attorney General for Legislative Affairs at the Department of Justice. And this is a period um, of time, that was a period of time, Ed Meese was really one of the two or three most powerful people in government. There, I would say there isn't a parallel in terms of this administration or, or the Obama administration, but Meese, because Meese was, he was really ideologically just spot on with, with Ronald Reagan, and he atta- he attracted a great number of conservatives who wanted to work with him, as he 
was trying to redo the courts and a new approach to oh, criminal justice and a variety of things. So John came in there. And, um, you know, I don't feel sorry for the Trump administration on this count because John's the same as he was back in the mid-1980s. I mean, he was a pistol then and he's a pistol now. He, he, the amazing thing is that in, uh, at age 71, he still has just as much energy and, and uh, uh, as much of a dynamo as he was back in 1985 when I first met him. You know, what's, what's interesting about John Bolton is he has been perceived differently in different era, um, eras of his public service. Um, you know, some people thought he was uh, just a, a complete warmonger at one point. And now he seems, uh, in recent years, he's seemed more like the voice of reason. Well, um, yeah, I think that is interesting. And uh, it's an insightful point because it sort of says um, that if you stick around long enough and gut it out, um, you, you do have your own sort of throwaway, to use a term, he would use not for himself, but he was he was the arms control guy in the uh, in the second Bush administration. He was the undersecretary for arms policy at, at the State Department, and uh, so yes, he's had different thoughts and and uh, played different roles. He, he was at USAID. Uh, he was at Justice, as I said, uh, and now of course the um, the NSC. So so he's seen a lot, and he's hard to. Uh, He's not easily intimidated, I would say. He, he, has, he has great confidence in terms of his intellect. Now, you can question, as many have, uh, you know, what did he think he was doing going into the Trump administration? Just as they knew what they were getting with him, he knew what they, he was getting with them. Now, I, I happen to respect him for going in because my, I, I do not um, begrudge anybody the decision or criticize anybody's decision to go work for for trump it's because you're working for the country um i do think that you know you've got to navigate things obviously extremely carefully in this administration compared to what you might normally do and it's very frustrating but i'm not going to criticize somebody who tries to serve uh, in a in a role uh, as, as he did well you know the the president has uh, as he typically does has gone on the offensive about this book even challenging it legally to try and avoid its release today um, and and I will use the opportunity right now to mention I have not read the book I haven't even had a chance to really get a hold of a good excerpt I've seen some reviews and and I think you told me in our emails that you had not read the book um, right I'm, I'm where you are I've read some of the I've seen some of his or I've seen some of his interviews, and I've read some of the reviews, and, uh, you know, uh, John Bolton is sort of the target of the day right now for everybody, and, right and left. And he's, um, you know, being uh, characterized uh, as as a traitor and, and possibly criminal for having released uh, classified information, but I can't help thinking that in this particular case, classified information is anything that's damaging to the president. Well, I think that's true, and I also think that the the, the president, um, no one releases more classified information than Donald Trump. He just <laughs> that uh, you know he, it's uh, his, his Twitter feed ought to be t stamped 
top secret or something. I mean, it just sort of blurt stuff out. But um, so I, um, I, I don't think that the administration would ever have uh, signed off formally on releasing the book. Um, it, and it would have been one of those things that would happen after the election if it did. So, but, um, but knowing because, John Bolton, Mark, and and uh, watching his career over the years, um, is is he somebody that that would publish classified information in a book just just to make the book better? No, I I, I don't. He John Bolton is first and foremost a, a person of ideas. He's a he's a strong intellect and. He prides himself on having studied issues and developing a position and then forcefully advocating for those positions. But no, I've never, never seen him uh, break a rule or uh, anything that I felt was unethical. And right, that's right, that would be unethical. And certainly, there are enough details in, that have been released that uh, he didn't need classified things to spice up the book. And he he said uh, Sunday night in his ABC interview in so many words that he didn't think the president was uh, fitted to the job, that he, that he didn't think he was competent enough to be president, um, and, and that um, he didn't think he should be reelected. Is that out of character for a former uh, White House staff person to, to come out that strongly? Um, and is it out of character for John Bolton? Well, um, it's certainly unusual. Now, what you have here is um, the Trump administration, the president doesn't seem to learn that if you, if you kick somebody on their way out, um, they will not continue they're no longer your subordinate i mean he's he's learned this with michael cohen with you know people who work for him on his personal uh affairs the the hard way and uh, it's no different when you when you take off after somebody like john bolton he's going to push back and uh, i you know i guess it's at inside washington now race sort of they're looking at him and saying oh geez you've really ruined yourself I don't think he cares what the other people are saying. I think he reached a conclusion. I think, I, I honestly believe he thought he could help the president and the country by going in and taking that job. I don't think he was under any illusions that it wouldn't be very difficult to do that just because the president is his old man. He's not, he, every famously, he's not very disciplined in terms of the way he approaches the job. Um, but it, it probably was, uh, or no doubt, was a lot more challenging than he thought it was. And then, yes, um, he's reached that conclusion. Um, yeah, that's an unusual conclusion. Usually people wait till after an election to write something if they do it all or the end of it, you know, the end of an administration. I remember uh, McClellan, the press secretary, you might remember him, Tom, the first uh, or maybe second Bush uh, press secretary after Ari Fleischer. He wrote a book, and he was in very bad odor after that book came out. And because it was still the second term um but yeah so it's unusual to to write and to and certainly to say the things he said now is it out of character for john i think he reached a conclusion that he felt uh that what he'd seen really was disturbing so he felt compelled to go on the record so 
the one question, uh, to me, the one issue that is the most difficult to grapple with, if you're, let's say, in the in the small Bolton camp, if that is, exists, is why didn't he, you know, find a way to testify during the impeachment proceedings if he if he felt um, this strongly? Uh, that's that's that to me is the most difficult argument when you look at this. Yeah, his and point and, and that, what do you think of his response to that, Mark, when he says? Uh, that he thought everybody's minds were already made up and his testimony wouldn't have made any difference? I don't think that is, uh, should be the controlling um, factor, Tom. I, I think that if you feel that the process is a legitimate constitutional process and you have relevant information, I, I think that, um, which he certainly did, well, he was I, I, he was on the famous Ukraine call. Yeah, right. So uh, exactly. So so he certainly had the information. Now, to me, this is all. I still have mixed emotions on impeachment and congressional oversight. I I've told you before. I thought that congressional oversight is essential for the executive branch and. Uh, I ran the IRS, I ran the INS, I was helped create Homeland Security. So um, these are all different purchases. But it is true when you are directly advising the president and having very intimate conversations, uh, there's a question in my mind, are you going to quash candor if, if every president worries that anybody he talks to can be compelled to testify in in some sort of a congressional proceeding uh, that's different from a you know a secretary the secretary of the treasury is running a big bureaucracy it's a different position than someone like Kudlow who's in the inside talking to the president several times a day about the economy should those conversations or should that be reached into by by uh, the congress it's a little trickier question but but certainly um I think that's the, the difficult question here as to what, what he should have done in that instance, given that he had concluded that the president, um, you know, wasn't, shouldn't be in office. And, and uh, what do you think of his comment about uh, Im- impeachment malpractice? <laughs> well, I, I think that did they this, did they get it wrong? Did Congress get it wrong? Yeah, I I think that there are other areas that that um, probably should have been looked at if you're coming to this from the point of view of of the Congress uh, or the Democrats rather. Um, you know, the selective application of the law is not just an issue. Uh, the problems weren't just in Ukraine withholding the aid in, in the Ukraine. There are other instances where the administration says, well, we, uh, we don't like this law, so we're not going to enforce it. I mean, there, there are ways to look at it. but they, Mark, I've got the pro- to interrupt you okay. there and go to break, but, but let's pick okay. it up there and, uh, and carry on when we come back, okay? Okay. My guest is Mark Everson, former White House uh, staffer who served in two presidential administrations. We're talking about John Bolton and his new book, which is out today. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. And the only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on the bu- on the bus... All 65 of them with their instruments and everything and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all left. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for four. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go Be the guy who's going by. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour, uh, we continue with um, my guest. He's a uh, former White House staffer who served in two presidential uh, administrations. He worked with and knew John Bolton. We're talking about John Bolton's uh, new book, which comes out today. Actually, we're talking more about uh, John Bolton and uh, various reactions to the book called The Room Where It Happened a White House memoir with former White House staffer Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. You're, you're okay, Tom. So we were talking about the impeachment. What I was going to say about that was that um, the speaker, you've got to remember, she never really wanted to move through the impeachment, or she maybe not never, but she was, she was very reluctant to to go down that path, if you recall. I think she, I, I suspected at the time that she had in her mind, if there was going to be an impeachment proceeding, she wanted it to be going on now, leading up to the election, you know, closer That's to the election. But, but, but I, look, Nancy Pelosi has been around a long time. She also understands uh, what sells and what doesn't sell. And the problem you have with the impeachment, the way they crafted it, was that um, really, I think it was twofold. They, there was no underlying crime that people could recognize. I mean, people understood Watergate because it was a break-in. The average person gets it. You're not you're not allowed to go into an office building and break that break through the door and rifle through files. That's a crime. It, talking about withholding aid to a country, it's uh, it's just a little less concrete in the mind of most people, and that's the case you were trying to make. And then when you, you the second part of it, you sort of say, okay, a politician was putting his electoral interests um, into the equation of how to do the job. That doesn't surprise anybody. So I think that she always felt uh, that this was going to be a very hard case to make in terms of making it sell, if you will, with the American people. My guess is that what, what John is getting at is there are other, you know, technical, very technical issues that you can run to and say, look, this is where the uh, president failed to faithfully execute the laws. But that's a hard case. It's a hard case to make in the court of public opinion. That's that's what I would say. And, and so I think it's he, when he when he says it's impeachment malpractice, it may very well have been in terms of not making a dull, methodical case about certain legal standards. But in the political reality, um, you know, it very quickly just settled into two different camps on political grounds. And and, and it was the whole impeachment process was really kind of a Democrat uh, runaway train. I think that's a, absolutely correct. We've talked about this before. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, Bolton, I think that if you go back and you look at this, you know, you've got Mitt Romney who who took a stand, uh, which was contrary to the party. I'm not sure what impact it would have had if Bolton had um, testified. But they, the Democrats, they wanted to keep the train running so they, if I recall correctly, they, it was potentially in the courts as to whether they could compel. I think it was Bolton's deputy initially they were trying to compel, and then it, things got sort of overtaken in the court proceedings. 
But um, I, you know, I don't, I, I do think this is, from his point of view, the most troubling argument is, well, if you feel this way, why didn't you participate in that proceeding? Yeah, it's, um, and some people are suggesting that he's, uh, that, that he was holding back, you know, his, his juicy tidbits for a book that would somehow line his pockets. He says it's not about the money. What do you think about that? I don't think it's about the money. John Bolton, if John Bolton wanted to make more money over the course of his career, he could have done other things. I mean, uh, he, uh, he spent a substantial portion of his life in, in the public sector where he, he wasn't, uh, he, he had other ways to make money. I don't think that's in the, in the issue, in the mix at all. I do think that, you know, he wants to be on the record as to how he sees things. And I think he's, you know, he's presumably achieved that with this, with this volume. But this isn't the first time that he's gone out sort of on his own to say how he thinks things ought to be done and, and how they ought to be run. Um, I, I would think that uh, the, the Trump administration, the Trump White House, should maybe have seen that coming. I think that's exactly right. That's what I was saying earlier. I mean, John Bolton is not that different from John Bolton in the 1980s. He was um, a very forceful, um, vocal advocate of his positions. And there was no reason to believe. I mean, perhaps this president seems to think that he can convince counterpart leaders or others to sort of see things his way. Well, uh, John Bolton, he may have worked for the president, but he was never going to cede his intellectual views to the president. That just wasn't going to happen. Um, and and with this uh, with this book, what do you think of um, John Bolton's uh, assessment of of the president? Um, we mentioned that in the last segment a little bit. Um, is is there any sour grapes to that? Is he capable of uh, the same kind of vindictiveness that that we see sometimes with the president? Well, I think each of us are, if wounded, we're going to protect or defend ourselves and not necessarily, you know, maybe some people will retreat, but that's just not in John's character. <laughs> that's just not who he is. And uh, so I, um, I don't, again, to your point, this was all inevitable. I mean, this is not uh, Rex Tillerson who rose through decades at one of the world's biggest corporations. To, to rise to run Exxon Mobil, you have to be, um, you have to be pretty disciplined and you have to um, restrain some of your personality. It's just the nature of the beast to navigate those corporate corridors. That's not how John led his career. He, he amplified his opportunities and his positions by by doing what you talked about, taking public positions, giving provocative speeches, getting a little out front of Colin Powell when he was Secretary of State. Um, you know, that's, that's who John is. This was totally recognizable or understandable, and the idea that, the idea that he would sort of go quietly into the night, I, I don't think that was ever going to happen. 
and and what about this whole uh you can't fire me i quit thing going back and forth between oh, john bolton and the president who cares <laughs> it's all you know all these resignations are that way i mean look uh famously when the when ronald reagan fired his hhs secretary uh uh, Heckler, I think her name was. Um, he promoted her to be the ambassador to Ireland. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm promoting her to be ambassador. <laughs> well, she was the kid. She was running like the second biggest cabinet agency, and uh, and uh, all of a sudden she was off to Ireland. <laughs> Wasn't a promotion. People people say what they want to say to serve their political interests. Um, but you know, you mentioned uh, Rex Tillerson. Uh, some of the other people, uh, I'm thinking of uh, John Kelly and uh, a couple of others, have come out um, with some negative comments about the the president. Um, are, are those things unexpected, or or um, is is it just uh, the the nature of of people who've left uh, an administration, whether they resigned or were asked to leave, to speak badly about the president? I think it's t- two things, Tom. I think that um, there has been a deterioration in uh, what you would call decorum over the over the decades recently, and. This is it, this goes down. People oh, violating classified information. People think that um, you know they can go on the record. They don't like a decision. They're going to fight it out um, through the through the media and try and get things reversed and have their impact. That's happened up and down the government. There's just been a general erosion of the way things work. That said, I do believe what you have here is unprecedented. Just reflecting, uh, you know, the the difficulties attendant to the personality of the of the person who's occupying the office right now. He's he is much again less disciplined, and frankly, that's one of his attractions to a significant group of people. They say I he's authentic, and the, uh, the people who like Trump like that. They they like the fact that, that he's was not. that was my next uh, my next question, and this gets into analysis a little bit, Mark. But um, with people um, like Bolton and uh, uh, John Kelly and a couple of the other generals, uh, Mattis, I think, um, that have uh, started distancing themselves and and their support from the president, saying they you know they wouldn't vote for him and so on. Um, has that, um, do you think that will have any impact on the election, uh, this fall? I would tell you that, um, in a normal election, when the country was in a relatively calm period, um, that it most certainly would. But um, it kind of goes down more to noise than anything else, and I think that's what I would say about the book in general. Um, Its impact, I don't think people are sitting at home waiting waiting to hear what John Bolton says about the president. They pretty well already know what they think about him. 
But what you have is it's such an unprecedented time with the virus and then the economic disruption. And, uh, um, it's, it's really quite incredible. And, and the impact on, on people uh, through all of that, and then not to mention all of the, the civil unrest and the Black Lives Matter and uh, the, just a generation of, uh, of real emotional energy on, on that whole score. It's just a lot of volatility out there. So I don't think John Bolton saying the president's not competent is uh, going to find its way into a Biden television commercial, if you will. I think what Biden's strategy will be to have the president run against himself and uh, by using a lot of his own statements and uh, and then comparing it <laughs> to you know some of the situation. You know, where is the where is the economy going to be? And the economy could be end up being a lot stronger. Uh, a few months down the road. But if we're in the midst of a second wave and of the virus and people blame Trump, uh, that's it. Or is the president successfully able to paint Joe Biden as a captive of um, the left? And, uh, you know, people are, people are afraid, Tom. They're, 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 afraid, uh, they're afraid about some of the violence uh, and... and uh, do the people who want the change, and I listen, I'm an advocate for change. I live in Mississippi, and I, there's plenty of change that needs to happen down here. Um, but do the people who are most um, oh, uh, insistent on the change, do, do they become more cynical as the months go along, and then that vote um, in some instances? There, there's a lot can happen here. You know, you were talking about uh, Joe B- or, uh, John Bolton showing up in a Joe Biden television commercial. Um, I have seen some some uh, Facebook memes and in uh, comments and so on um, about uh, Biden sitting in the basement, uh, you know, waiting out the the pandemic. And this um, one of the images uh, that that comes to mind was Joe Biden sticking his head out from what looked like a cellar trap door and saying, am I president yet? Um, <laughs> while it's, while it's fun to make fun of something like that, is Biden, uh, is that a pretty good strategy for Joe Biden is to let the president run against himself? Well, I think that, um, Biden is a very positive figure as an individual. People like him. They feel he is a good man. Um, but those who there are many who don't like his policies, they feel he's captive of the very liberal interests in the party, and increasingly so. And they also are concerned about is is he deteriorating? I think there is there reason to believe he's, you know, he's showing his age a little bit, and um, so I'm not sure that it isn't quite a sound strategy to sort of stay in the basement, if you will, and get to Labor Day. He's going to announce his running mate come, like they're talking about August first or something, um, and then the more they can just 
script him to go out and give speeches once things open up a little bit in the fall uh, and not vary from positions, I think that's a pretty sound way for him to run, frankly. I really do. Just because um, he he does mangle his words and uh, he, he looks a little infirm uh, in certain instances, if you will. Yeah, like like he's struggling to come up with the completest thought. Right, and so people, it reminds, I mean, Trump seems more vigorous, albeit, you know, they talk about his uh, walk. I, I looked at that tape and said, what's all this about? I would have trouble walking down that, uh, that ramp without a handrail. So you just sort of... I've never had a great balance, although I exercise every day. And, uh, <laughs> Gravity you know, is not but, my friend. <laughs> yeah, but so I, you know, the, there's no doubt the media is out to get Trump now. He he gives them a lot of material to work with, but yeah, I mean that's they, uh, that is what it is. But but so yeah, I um, you know it's sort of hard to forecast all this, but I I do think that this is this is although the book will sell a lot of copies. The John Bolton book is, a, I think it's an inside the Beltway story, and it's a, you're getting to the essence of it. It's a, People are shocked that he would turn on the president, even though it's not a surprise if you think about how he was treated and the, the way John has stood over the years. But uh, that's right. You're supposed to be, if you're in the administration, you're supposed to be loyal to the end, even if you're kicked out. Well, there are countless stories of of staffers who've fallen on the uh, fallen on the sword for a sitting president. In um, of course, and and we don't see quite that kind of um, blind loyalty in uh, Bolton. Well, you don't see it in, in this president has sort of pushed people out without. You know, it's, it's he very rarely, even in his tweets, says like thank him for his service. Every once in a while, he does, but <laughs> he doesn't. There's no, there's no nice gesture on the way out with this guy. You mentioned the um, the pandemic and, of course, uh, the civil rights upheavals in the wake of the George Floyd uh, killing and and the video images that. America has been looking at, um, and and these being very strange times, a lot of people are very critical of uh, the president's handling. But how do administrations um, hold up when things happen in an unexpected way? You know, the incident with George Floyd exploding into national protests. The uh, the the rapid spread of of COVID nineteen when it hit U.S. shores. Um, how how do administrations function and and deal with those kinds of things and 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 rally the nation and you know has Trump lived up um, or or has his uh, narcissism. Uh, prevented him from being able to to really put the country first i i think there's a difference between whether a crisis is um sort of thrust upon an administration and they're dealing with it to the best of their ability and 
and seen as doing so. In other words, it's doing going well, or is it something that is directly more of a oh, uh, a challenge to the integrity of the administration? Uh, look at I was in the Justice Department during Iran Contra, and um, you know that was no doubt a self-inflicted wound. Or you look at Johnson. A lot of people have been writing about the parallels to Linda Johnson being isolated during the times of demonstrations, uh, uh, you know, right before he decided to not run. Uh, if you if things aren't going well, it pervades within, uh, you know, an organization, uh, the administration is just very painful because you're, you're just grasping at things to do to try and turn things around. And yes, the signature accomplishment of this administration, if you will, and some give the administration credit for it, some do not, was the strong economy. And overnight, uh, the virus you know, resulted in an incredible reduction in the, uh, in the economic activity. So, um, yes, that, that focuses the mind. Um, you get then the issue of really the president, try, the president, he tries to intimidate and cajole and work with individuals, but... It's hard to do that with science. The virus, the virus has its own mind, and you can't tell the virus what to. You can't tell the virus what to do. The the invisible uh, enemy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think it's harder by, by its nature to grapple with this. Now, I, I was speaking with with uh, somebody recently, and I, I actually am something of an optimist. You sometimes have said that you feel better after talking to me. Well, uh, one of the great problems we've had in this country has been the rigid ideological adherence at all levels to the party leadership, meaning whether you're a Republican senator or a Republican governor or a mayor, you're going to stick up for what the Washington stance is or the Democrats on the other side. One of the things that I like about what's happening here is it, it makes it a little more chaotic and a little more clumsy, but different governors and, and municipal leaders and others are all trying to make decisions right now in this pandemic that they think are the most justified based on their own authorities and the needs of their own citizenry and their own locale. And so they aren't necessarily 100% consistent with the Republican views of let's open this up or let's you know move faster on the economy or, or vice versa. So I do think that while not everything's going well, there are some positive signs in you can look at even the court decisions. Uh, I think that uh, you know some of the people. Uh, the decision uh, last week on on uh, the uh, discrimination case. I, I think you could almost hear uh, some shock in the New York the New York Times editorial decision. Seems to couldn't begrudgingly say anything nice about the decision just said it should have been nine zero you know yeah right right <laughs> and and, and uh, it won and you, you would think they would say well wow the couple of these conservatives are better we thought mark uh, i okay. i have to take another break here can you stick around and we'll talk a little bit more to wrap things up all right very good all right my guest is mark everson former white house staffer we've been talking about john bolton's uh, book which comes out today and uh, reaction to the book and to 
John Bolton. And we'll do more right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. 
Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman Study Sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman Sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, as we uh, roll into the third segment of this uh, second hour of our three-hour tour. I'm talking with Mark Everson, former White House staffer. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to uh, sort of wrap things up uh, a little bit. We've been talking about uh, John Bolton. His book comes out today. It's called uh, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, and uh, Mark, worked with uh, John Bolton and has uh, known him and watched his career over the years. Neither one of us has read the book. Um, perhaps we'll have more to say after uh, the book's been out a little while. We've had a chance to to dig through it and see if there's more to it than, than what's been leaked this last weekend. Right. Um, you know, I again, going back to what you were raising before, I think that this is just another piece of evidence, if you will, in the Trump record. People aren't going to quibble the president may try to deny some of these things, but basically people aren't going to quibble with what he said. It's the, the argument is, when should he have said all this? And, and I don't think it'll change a lot of minds either. But uh, John, uh, you know, I, I'm an admirer of John Bolton. I wouldn't I don't agree with him on everything, but He's been, I think, fairly consistent over the course of his career, and he's. Uh, there aren't enough people and uh, who who argue from a point of view of intellectual rigor, and I think John does. So uh, I'm I'm glad this is out there. I I bemoan, as you say, the, um, the sort of the politics of all of it, and I do question whether he should have testified in the. Uh, in the impeachment proceeding, but I, I, I think that we'll see what happens. There's so, so, so long to go, going back to the election. I mean, got a long ways to go, Tom. A long ways to go. And and it's um, interesting how quickly things change. You know, the economy, uh, according to uh, the president and uh, the White House, was was just booming. It was the best economy ever in the history of economies. Um, and and then all of a sudden it wasn't, and unde- right. and undeniably it wasn't. Well, that's right. And and again, going to the unrest, if people are afraid, nobody likes the language. Or not this, I'm just saying nobody, but many people, you know, detest the language that the president uses, the exploitation of the divisiveness. But um, it's very clear over the decades, if people are afraid. Um, they're going to vote differently than if they feel everything's going great. And there are people who are concerned. Look, I still own a condo in Indianapolis, uh, and um, it's there was a killing two blocks from the condos, right in the downtown area, right by the monuments. And, uh, late at night, uh, the person who who rents it from me, a good friend, she she was in tears because somebody, you know, there, there were two shootings right within two to three blocks. Of, of of that place and uh, this this is unsettling um so um and you can say yes yes i absolutely believe it's imperative that we make changes in many ways do it make some progress here but the question is 
um, how how difficult is the period we're in? Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember, as you do, the 60s where there was a lot of unrest. Uh, I've got a very close friend from college. His, his, um, his daughter was sort of chastising him because he, she thought he wasn't, and she's in her late 20s, wasn't suitably, um, wasn't suitably respecting the, uh, the gravity of all that had happened in some of these, some of the, some of the deaths in, in across the country. And, uh, in terms of the, the protest and everything else. And, well, my friend uh, Victor, he grew up in Newark, uh, where 26 people were killed when he was a teenager, you know, in the riots. And so he just has a, he, he, just, he just has a different perspective. And it's impossible to tell, Tom, where are some of these younger people who are very motivated now, where are they going to be in four months? Will they still be, will they be more determined or less you know, will they be more cynical and not vote, or will Biden acquit himself well? Or it's just so, it's just a fascinating piece, and I, so I think that uh, Washington's obsessed with John today, but I think they'll move on as the months go forward. Well, yeah, and it's and that's an interesting point, Mark, because um, I do remember those times, and I have a good friend who was going to uh, um, college in uh, in Kent State. Um, at Kent State yeah. when uh, the National Guard shot four protesters and, and killed those students. And, yes. And that was a, a very dramatic event. And, um, and and people seem to, you know, look back and think it was all sit-ins. Right. No, that's right. These, these were difficult times. Kent State, you know, then you had the assassinations, Kennedy, King. Uh, and bombings. Were, uh, yes. But look, I lived... In New York in the 70s, I lived down the street on uh, West 11th Street uh, from the Brownstones, just 50 yards away, that had been blown up when they were, the weathermen were manufacturing uh, explosives, and they blew up a Brownstone by mistake. So, no, this was, they weren't playing beanbag back then. And um, um, so we're going through another stressful period, which makes things very un unpredictable i would tell you it really does uh, and, and probably one of the I'll, great flips of all time mark was uh, when abby hoffman ended up working on wall street <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well that's right no the, some of this some of these people have, have had uh, nine lives and uh, yeah it's it's very interesting to see and uh, i i am concerned uh, we i don't know if we talked about this too much before but I'm concerned about, while we need to make tremendous progress here, and certainly there needs a great deal of reform needed in criminal justice and, and in policing, absolutely imperative we get that, get that done, but we also need to ha- guarantee our robust uh, uh, traditions of debate and democracy. I mean, this uh, running out of town of the opinions editor of the New York Times because he, he published a... Uh, a piece by uh, a sitting U.S. senator. I mean, that was pretty incredible to me because you're 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 either in favor of protests and giving people a voice, or you're not. And um, this is we could the people who did detest Trump the most could rue the way this is all played out if if the if if folks overplay their hand and it hands the election to them. Which I think is conceivable. I'm not saying it will happen, but I think it's 
it's possible that enough people will be afraid. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. I I think people are uh, um, actually writing his epitaph a little early. Yeah, I I think it's you know it's an uphill climb for him, but uh, but uh, don't discount. Uh, the the party can overreach, which is interesting. We haven't talked about the vice presidential pick. It'll be really very telling what he, what he chooses to do with that pick. Do you think that there has been significant pressure on him that it, it is, in fact, going to be a black woman? Well, I think his best pick is Val Demings. Just, uh, she she shows very well, very polished. She She comes from... A swing state. She's been a police chief. My goodness, she can speak uh, to these issues that we're grappling with as a nation right now from personal experience. I remember being very impressed. I didn't know anything about her, but I watched some of the intelligence committee hearings in the run-up to the impeachment, and I I was very impressed by her. I I think she she would be a strong uh, pick. And yes, there is a lot of pressure to to go in that direction. I don't think he should feel bound by it, but I think because of what Demings has as a background, she's, she's pretty strong. I'm less, I'm, uh, I'm less, uh, oh, impressed by Kamala Harris. I think she, people, um, they criticized her campaign, but I think, I think people just didn't like her in the end. And I, she she's gotten better. She's not as much of a lecturer as she was, but uh, um, I you know she may still be the front runner on it. Warren is a very strong, forceful figure, no doubt about. It. But but she would she would give uh, Trump the the ability to paint the party as uh, the captive of the you know the very anti business socialist type interest, if you will. That's how it would be painted. So we'll see. Yeah, well, it's going to be fun to watch, and it's always uh, fun to hear your take on all of these things, Mark. Thanks so much for spending this hour with me this morning. I really appreciate it. All right, Tom. You take care. Stay safe up there. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Mark Everson. He served in uh, two presidential administrations and uh, in the process worked with and got to know John Bolton. We've been talking about John Bolton's book, which is uh, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. And uh, I, 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 for one, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, but I, I am uh, fascinated by such things. I think uh, Mark Everson uh, makes a good point when he says that uh, a lot of people outside the Beltway, maybe not so much. And, uh, and we'll see. Um, like I say, the book came out, or uh, it is coming out today. And uh, I've, I've already seen it on some of the booksellers uh, online. So I suspect the sales will be pretty good for a book of, uh, of this nature. Anyway, uh, we've got to take a short break here at the top of the hour for uh, show ID and so on. Uh, but then when we come back in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to have a little old-time radio and some music. And then we're going to visit with... Uh, a very interesting author who lives in Salzburg, Austria. He's from South Carolina originally. He was educated at Oxford. And he uh, writes political history thrillers. And he has a new one called The Poet's War. His name is Francis O'Neill. And uh, he'll uh, join me 
by phone from Salzburg uh, coming up in the uh, next hour of the show. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner program still to be had. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 